So it's May 8th, 2015, in New Vrindavan, West Virginia. Oops. And we're going to be looking at surrender. Whoa. <laughs> Maybe we could turn off the lights behind there. Are those turnable offable? The big bad word, surrender. What does it mean? Does it mean like a war when we wave a white flag? Does it mean that sometimes people think surrender means I have to do what I don't like to do? I've heard people say, you know, if if you're really suffering in Krishna consciousness, that means you're surrendered. (laughs) So what is surrender? So we're going to be looking today at four things. I'm going to first tell the story of Bali Maharaj, who personifies surrender. Yeah, that's better. Then we're going to look at the two... Can everybody see me? Because I can stand up if I need to. We're going to be looking at the two items in the list of 64 angas of bhakti that deal with surrender, Vedanam and saranapati. And then we're going to look at the six ways of demonstrating surrender. Is that okay? All right. Everybody ready to surrender? All right. Can you imagine anywhere in the world, in any other context, where you could ask everybody if they're ready to surrender and they would cheer? (laughs) All right, so first we're going to look at the story of Bali Maharaj, who is the personification of surrender. So Bali Maharaj, by pleasing his spiritual master and with his prowess, conquered the heavenly kingdom. And he was so effective at conquering the heavenly kingdom that the demigods just got up and left without a fight. I think most of us would like to be that powerful that our enemies just get up and leave without a fight, right? Uh, But there was one fighter among them, and that was the demigod's mother, Aditi. So she wasn't willing just to capitulate. And she decided that the way we're going to deal with this problem is to take shelter of the Lord. So she worshipped Lord Vishnu. Please save my sons. He said, all right, I will become one of your sons to save my brothers. And then, of course, he appears as Mamna, the dwarf. Meanwhile, back in the heavenly planets, Bali Maharaj is having a yagya because he's told by his guru you're not going to be able to maintain your hold over the heavenly planets without doing yagya. You can get it, but you won't be able to keep it. That's one of the difficulties in this world, isn't it? Not just getting something, but keeping it. Isn't that a fact? Right? Hiranyakashipu, when he received his boons, Lord Brahma said to him, these will be very difficult to maintain. So as he's doing this yagya, and of course, in all yagyas, you're worshipping Vishnu. Hmm? Well, Vishnu shows up. Sometimes this happens to us in our Krishna consciousness also. We're chanting Hare Krishna, chanting Hare Krishna, and Krishna shows up. What do we do when he shows up? How do we treat him? So he comes and he says, my dear Bali, you're doing this yagya for me. I'd like you to actually give me something. Please give me three paces of land according to my own measurements. Uh oh. Sukracharya said, Don't do that, Bali. This is Vishnu in disguise. He'll take everything. But you told me to worship Vishnu. It was under your instructions I was worshiping Vishnu. I got everything by worshiping Vishnu. Yeah, but don't really do it. <laughs> Isn't that what most religion is like? Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Yes, uh, um, <clears throat> forget it. Actually, there's one devotee in the Hare Krishna movement who tells this story that he really wanted to see God. 
And for one year he was obsessed. I really want to see God. I really want to see God. So he was in the, uh, working for the Laguna Beach Temple, going out on book distribution. They were collecting, some of you can't see them. Maybe I keep this here and use that one? Okay, we're going to move. Is that better? Yes. Okay. There we go. So he was doing Sankirtan, doing book distribution to collect for a new outfit for the deities. And he, for one year, he'd been meditating on, I really want to see God, I really want to see God. And then one night in his room, when he was again, really, I really want to see you, I really want to see you, he looked at the wall, and he saw on his wall, if any of you have been to Laguna Beach, the Panchatapha Deities on his wall. And they were wearing the outfit for which he was collecting that hadn't been offered yet. And as he was looking at the wall, he realized he was really seeing God. And then he went, oh, go away! <laughs> he said, that's the last time I've seen God. So sometimes we're said, you know, please come, please come, please come. And then Krishna comes and we say, oops, go away. I may use that again. Okay, we'll, we'll do it. And, but Bali didn't, didn't do that. When it came the time, he said, okay. I'll give you what I promised. Three steps of land.
Now we're going to look at the two angas of bhakti that deal with surrender, Vedanam and Sharanapati. So Vedanam is I am Krishna's. I am Krishna's possession. I belong to Krishna. And Sharanapati is Krishna is mine. But Krishna is my what? Krishna is my protector. Krishna is my protector. And here we see some of the classics of protection with the Singadev who protected Prahlad from the original universal child abuser. Gajendra who was protected from being eaten by a crocodile. And the crocodile was also human. Uh, Draupadi who was being protected from humiliation. So these are the sort of things we fear in our lives, yes? Humiliation, enemies, pain, and the Lord here as protector. So we're going to first look at Atmanivedanam, which is considering oneself the possession of the Lord. Uh, it's also called offering everything to the Lord, surrendering everything. So here's stated in Bhagavatam 11, 29, 34. A person who gives up all fruitive activities and offers himself entirely unto me, eagerly desiring to render service unto me, achieves liberation from birth and death, and is promoted to the status of sharing my own opulences. What does this mean, give up fruitive activities? What does fruitive activities mean? It means I think I'm the doer, and I am working, 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 working to get a fruit. And then I get the fruit and I eat it. And then I work and work and work for another fruit, which I get, and I eat. So giving up fruitive mentality means I no longer think that I'm the doer, and I am no longer interested in enjoying the fruits of my so-called action because can we really control the fruits of our actions? Partially, right? We're one of five factors of action. And then when you get that fruit, is it always sweet? Is it always even a fruit? <laughs> then you get there and the birds are into it. <laughs> or you get it, you say, wasn't what I wanted anyway. Or you get it, it's perfect, and then you're finished with it. And it's all over. And then you gotta work for another fruit. So the devotee instead says, Krishna, what I'm working for is to be yours in this moment, and this moment, and this moment, and this moment. My fruit, my result is pleasing you now, and then pleasing you now, and pleasing you now, and pleasing you now. What does one get? Well, what do we do with what we possess? We take care of them. When one says to Krishna, I'm not going to be the, the doer anymore for the fruit, but I'm just going to be giving to you, to you, then Krishna says, okay, I'll give to you too. I'll take care of you. I'll take charge of you. You won't have to undergo your karma in this world of birth and death. Isn't that what we want, really? That's what everyone's looking for in government. Someone who's going to take care of us. That's what we look for in our mother and father. That's what we look for in our spouse. Maybe it's what we look for in our institution, from our employers, right? But in this opportunity, no, no, it's Krishna. And he says, I will take charge of you. Prabhupada says, if somebody says this to us, don't worry, I'll take charge of you. How much relief we feel. But the problem is, an ordinary person cannot take care of us. But when Krishna says it, then we know, okay, he can take care of us. Oh, and this very nice. Prabhupada says that when we surrender like this, Krishna instructs from within so that the devotee makes very quick advancement. Who would like to make quick advancement? Only some of you. Okay. <laughs> Some of you double, make up for the rest. So we know that in the modes of material nature, right, in the mode of ignorance, everything's darkness. 
One cannot see what should be done, what should not be done. One strives always in the wrong direction. In the mode of passion, it's kind of mixed. Sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. In the mode of goodness, you always get it right. You see what is binding and what is liberating. Hmm? What is not to be done, what is to be done. Imagine, beyond goodness, when Krishna is giving direct instruction, Prabhupada says that Krishna can become one's direct advisor or Krishna can remain unknown according to our receptivity. Just imagine if God in the heart saying, yes, here's the result of this action and here's the result of that action. Kind of like going above the maze where you can see everything clearly. So when one gives oneself fully to Krishna, and one does this Abhani Veganam, then Krishna also instructs you. Don't we do that if someone's our own person, right? If we're an employer, we have employees, don't we give them instruction? Yes. So why not Krishna? Now when we say Atmani Veganam, who is this Atma? Who is this self? Some people might say, well, it's only the soul. But no, it's any kind of self. Just like even in English, if we're going to say myself, I hurt myself, meaning the body. You know, I'm feeling sad, meaning the mind. Or I'm a servant of Krishna, meaning the soul. So this Abhani Vedana is everything. My soul belongs to you, my mind, my body, everything belongs to you. And how does the body belong? This is illustrated in, in Bhakti Viveka. Just like when you sell an animal, if you have an animal, some of you I'm sure have animals. So if you have an animal and you sell it to somebody else, then you no longer worry about its care, isn't it? Right? Or maybe a house. So recently I was uh, visiting a house where I used to live and now some other devotees live there. And I no longer worry about its maintenance, right? Somebody else is taking care of it. So when I give my body to Krishna, I no longer worry. Prabhupada says, in other words, one should not bother about his personal or family maintenance or sustenance. If one is actually surrendered, he should always remember that his only concern is to be engaged in the service of the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean that I quit my job? That I no longer care about my family? I just become hard-hearted? I no longer eat? Is that what that means? Well, maybe. Hey, a lot of Indipuri who traveled without even begging. You know, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he went to South India, he was begging. Madhavan Dupuri didn't beg. He didn't make any effort for his own eating. And when you have the devotee who lived like a python that Prahlad Maharaj met, we have Sri Thakur who had his one, two, three method. But in general, that's not what it means, practically. In general, it means, my dear Lord, I'm yours. My family is yours, my house is yours, my body is yours. I therefore take care of them, not because they're mine, but as a service to you. And therefore all I worry about is my service. Whether or not they're actually taken care of, that's your business. My business is just to do my service, without attachment to the external result, but with only attachment to pleasing you. And with the mind, I really Bhakti Vinod Thakur is so wonderful as far as surrender. He says, my mind, my household affairs, my body, whatever is in my possession, my dear Lord, I offer to you for your service. Now you can do with them as you like. You are the supreme possessor of everything. So if you like, you can kill me. Or if you like, you can give me protection. All authority belongs to you. I have nothing to claim as my own. And what about surrender of the soul? What does that mean? So here Jamunacharya said, my Lord, I may be living within somebody as a human being or as a demigod, but whatever mode of life I'm in, I don't mind. Because these bodies are just products of the modes of material nature. And I, who am in possession of these bodies, surrender unto you. 
genuinely we're so concerned about what body and what situation we're in, isn't it? Then you ever think about what kind of body you want in your next life if you don't make it back to Godhead? Right? Trudy Kirti tells the story of how Prabhupada said you have to take birth in India and he was really upset because he didn't want to take birth in India. And Prabhupada said, don't worry, there's nice Vaishnavas all over the world now and you have a lot of options. But here, in self-surrender, keep the Janmahoy. Doesn't matter. Let me be an insect. Whatever. I, the self, belong to you. Wherever you want to put me, the self, whatever situation, you own me. I am yours. Happiness, distress, honor, dishonor, life or death, it doesn't matter because my happiness isn't coming from my externals. My happiness is coming from the fact that I am yours. I am yours. I am yours. I am yours. That is where my happiness is coming from. And this wonderful thing here, that because he's offered his body to the Lord, Prophet says, he gives up all activities for pleasure in this life and the next, which nourish his body and things related to that body. The Lord then thinks, I desire to make him special. He then attains freedom from death, amritatvam, and similarity to me, atmabhuyaya. This means that he attains liberation in the form of attaining his swarup and sharsti like those of the Lord's. So as soon as one says, my dear Lord, from this day on I am yours, the Lord says, oh, let me give him his original form. Let me award to this soul the, the original swarup as a gopi, a cowherd boy, a cow, whatever one may be. And let me give him opulences equal to mine. It says chairs, jewelry, cars. I don't think there's cars exactly, but whatever there is, everything there. And Krishna gives one who surrenders to him. Now this is considered very rare. Very, very rare. Why so rare? Well, it's not that it's rare because you can only do this when you're a pure devotee. I think some of us have the idea that this Atmani Vedanam, it's only for the pure devotees. It's not for the practicing devotees. That's not a fact. Even someone who's a sadhaka, inviting sadhana, writing the sadhana, they can be Atmani Vedanam. But it's very hard to really be Atmani Vedanam. And we really want to hold on to this idea of being a controller. And because it's so difficult to do Atmani Vedanam, therefore it's considered very rare and precious. But we're going to look briefly at what Atmani Vedanam looks like for those who are pure devotees. We're going to look at it in Dasya Ras and in Madhuryaras. The example given in Dasya Ras is of King Ambarish, Savanana Krishna Padara Vedanam. He surrendered everything, all of his senses, in the service of the Lord. And when there was a demon coming to attack him and kill him, for no good reason, he was really innocent. He didn't defend himself. Of course he was a king. He would have defended himself on the battlefield against another Satya. But because the person trying to attack him was his guest and a Brahmana, even though he was innocent, he didn't defend himself. And in fact, when Krishna's Sudarshan Jis was going to kill Dravasa, Ambarish said, please, be kind to my enemy. Don't kill my enemy as you would have killed me. Then we see Amani Vedanam in Madhuryabhav with Rukmini. She said, Krishna, I belong to you. No one else should take me away. If I can't be married to you, I'll do austerities for unlimited lives until I can be yours. Please, take me as I am yours. And when she was married to Krishna, and Krishna said, you know, I don't know if I'm really the perfect husband for you. You know, there was no divorce in those days. So she became a little frightened. Is Krishna going to leave me? Krishna likes to play these meeting and separation games with his devotees. We'll be talking about this Krishna willing on uh, Sunday morning when we talk about Krishna leaving the Vasilila and returning. And 
Rukmini felt without Krishna, I am nothing. So now we're going to look at Sharanapati, the other of the 64 Angas of Bhakti that deal with surrender. And Abhinivedanam is I am Krishna's, Sharanapati is Krishna is mine. But Krishna is mine, not that I only have to do what I want with him, but that Krishna is my protector. And Prabhupada uh, defines this in teachings of Lord Chaitanya as in every condition one should be a surrendered soul. So this is the sense that Krishna is taking care of me. Krishna and only Krishna. And I display this in Sharanapati in the activities of my body, the activities of my mind, and the activities of my speech. It's, it's demonstratable. Someone who's executing Sharanapati, they behave that way. Okay, Krishna's protecting my body. Whatever I do to take care of my body is just my service. But Krishna is the one protecting my body. Krishna is the one protecting my mind. You know, I make some effort to hear and think about and talk, you know, etc. Things that are going to be favorable to Krishna. But it's Krishna protecting my mind. And whether my mind works or not. I know some very surrendered devotees who have severe mental illnesses, but still they're fully surrendered devotees. Uh, one devotee I know who's a paranoid schizophrenic, who's always thinking about how the mafia is out to get her, the mafia is going to kill her. You know, she's afraid to drink the water, or she's afraid that she's going to get electrocuted by her computer. But all throughout the day, she says, Krishna, you save me. Krishna, you save me. Krishna, you save me. Every time she wakes up in the morning, Krishna, thank you for saving me. So Krishna is the protector of our mind. Even if our mind doesn't function properly, Krishna is my protector. And Krishna is the protector in my speech. Let our speech be inspired by Krishna. Let us speak as a conduit for Krishna. Let us speak not in our, in our own uh, ability, in our own intelligence, but as Krishna's agent. And in this way, one does Sharanapati. And in the Singaprana, Lord Nisigadev said, anyone who prays to me and takes shelter of me becomes my Lord. And I protect him always from all sorts of calamities. One who has this mood of Sharanapati and the absence of Sharanapati has this sense that I'm being taken care of by Krishna. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that everything in my life is going to work out great from a material perspective according to my plans? Forget it. Just forget it, okay? Because it's not going to happen. I mean, maybe. Maybe there's one out of the seven billion people on the planet who could say, you know, I made a plan for my life, and that's what happened, and it was all my great. But please don't count on it. Who here has had a life that worked out totally according to their plans? Oh my. So what does this mean? It means that I trust Krishna that whatever you are doing is protection. Just like the parents give their children nice food and they take their children to the doctor where they get injections, right? Both. And the child trusts whatever my parents are doing is protection. The children fall asleep in the back of the car and get carried asleep to the next destination, right? Did you ever do that when you were a kid? Wake up in your hotel room and not know how you got there because your parents carried you in? Like that. The Krishna I trust. That whatever you are doing for me is protection. You are protecting my body, my mind, and me in the most perfect way, at the most perfect time, with all love. Not the best way to have water. So now we're going to look at the six symptoms of surrender. When we're surrendered according to Atmanivedanam and Sharanapati, what do we do? So here we 
have a nice quote from Ajalila 22.99, where Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says to Sanatana Goswami, there are two kinds of devotees, those who are fully satiated and free from all material desires, and those who are fully surrendered to the lotus feet of the Lord. Their qualities are one and the same, but those who are fully surrendered to Krishna's lotus feet are qualified with another transcendental quality, atma samarpana, full surrender, without reservation, without keeping anything in reserve. So we're going to look here at the six symptoms of surrender. These are described different ways and different places slightly, uh, especially uh, number five is described differently in different places. So the first one is accepting anything that's favorable. Prajuna, Krishna's son, talked about this. He said, even if it looks like poison to me, if it's favorable for Krishna, accept. The second one is rejecting anything that's unfavorable. Even if it looks like nectar to me, if it's not going to help me fall in love with Krishna and serve Krishna, I reject it. The third one is feeling that the Lord is my protector. The fourth is that the Lord is my maintainer, the Lord is my shelter. The fifth one is sometimes just called surrendering everything. And you think, well, you know, I thought it was the six symptoms of surrender. How can one be surrendering everything? But I really like the way Prabhupada describes this in the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, where he says that we don't feel independent in fulfilling our desires, that we know only by Krishna's grace can we fulfill our desires. And the sixth one, which Rabindas Rupa will be speaking about on Sunday morning, is, which I can't go to because they scheduled us at the same time. So, but you should probably all go to that one, and then you can learn more about the sixth one about humility. So we're going to look at each of these in terms. So first we're going to look at accepting everything that's favorable. So this is, of course, all the 64 angas of bhakti, but not just the 64 angas of bhakti. Anything that can help us, although we're not really interested in varnashram. Varnashram, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, is external. It really only has to do with the body and mind. Still, we have to engage our body and mind some way. And therefore, we can accept regulated, pious activity in the world offered to Krishna. We can accept that also as favorable. With our principle of yukta vairagya, there's so much we can accept as favorable in Krishna consciousness. So Prabhupada like to say, Krishna consciousness is not narrow or stereotyped. Now, how do you know if it's favorable? How do you know if it's favorable? Rinna Sukhubu spoke about this this morning. He was quoting Bhagavad Gita 92. He didn't quote all of it. He just quoted one word from it. What was his one word? He quoted from Bhagavad Gita 92. He said, it's right in front of your eyes. So this is how we know if it's favorable. Hmm? Do we become purified? By doing this for Krishna, do we become purified? Do we see things in the proper perspective? Do we become free from our material entanglements? Dharma. Dharma is our essence, our self. It does our life become more authentic? Do we become more in touch with who we really are? Susukam. Does it make us really spiritually happy? And anything favorable for Krishna, I was just reading this morning also in Teachers of Chaitanya, where Prabhupada is saying that Bhagavad Gita 12, 13 to 20 are the way that even someone who's not yet a pure devotee can connect with Krishna in this world. So if we want to know what's favorable to Krishna, we can look at those verses. One who is not envious, but is a kind friend to all living entities. He for whom no one is put into difficulty, and who is not disturbed by anyone. One who is at equal poise, and he will call happiness and distress, honor and dishonor. Who is not constrained by the ordinary course of activities, who doesn't care for auspicious or inauspicious things, and is firmly fixed in connection with Krishna. So that's what makes something favorable. But we are going to look just briefly at Panchanga Bhakti, the five items of the 64 that are the most powerful. Now everything in Bhakti has what's called Atmavirya in the Bhagavatam. It has its own potency. Uh, that if you just, you know, just a drop of charna, mitta water, just seeing the last theatric card, just 
studying a few moments in Mantua and 11th of a second association with devotees. They all have their own power, but these five are especially potent medicine. And there's, of course, deity worship. that even if you're a very beginner in Krishna consciousness, you can see Krishna. You can see Krishna and you can have very practically that Krishna is the center of your life. Of course, that doesn't work if your deity is just, you know, dusty on a shelf somewhere in the corner and you just offer your food as if he's a karma destroying machine. <laughs> That's not very effective. Uh, but if one is really doing deity worship, at least with the five basic items daily, and really meditating on the Lord, being the master of the home and the master of one's life. And the deity worship is so, such a simple, beautiful way to remember, oh, I am Krishna's servant. Everything I'm doing is for Krishna. One of my dear friends, whenever she gets some money, she literally offers it in front of her deities. She reads her deities, her uh, financial accounts. Whenever she receives a letter, she reads it to her deities. Whenever she mails a letter, she first reads it to her deities. She tells her deities every evening about what she did that day, and so forth. Then going to holy places. So of course, not only is there Vrindavan, Mayapur, etc., but Shiva Prabhupada has established so many holy places all over the world. When we come here, we're also in Tirta, and we can establish a holy place in our home. Right? When we establish the deity in our home, we're also establishing a holy place in our home. And of course, as Prabhupada said in Geneva, if when you chant Hare Krishna, you imagine that Krishna's on a diamond throne in your heart, and you're bathing him with Ganga and Jamuna water, and dressing him and ornamenting him, says if you chant like that, then wherever you go, becomes a holy So we should make sure that in the Hare Krishna movement, we are chanting Hare Krishna as a revolutionary idea. And and this, of course, is the main process for the sage, the Sankirtan Yajna. And Prabhupada said this instruction to chant minimum 16 rounds is his most important instruction. But to chant with heart, hmm? just like uh, Rina Sukhuru read today, that it's possible to read the scriptures with no effect if you're doing it officially. So also with chanting. This one time when Prabhupada said, if you're chanting mechanically, thinking of material things, then it is useless. And he pauses, he says, or it will take a long time. He says, you are reading Krishna book. Why can't you think of Krishna's pastimes while you're chanting? He said, you can think of Krishna talking to Arjuna, or you think about Krishna's killing the demons, and the Calvin boys are like, jai, jai. So I want you to chant deeply, I'm connecting with Krishna. Krishna, please dance on my tongue. Krishna, the internal energy, please dance on my tongue. Now, of course, they're, they're not going to dance any time if it's dirty. Right? Usually where I travel the world, when people give me a place to stay, it's clean, usually. But occasionally, people give me a place to stay. I don't know if this happens to you, Marge, but occasionally people give me a place to stay that I have to clean. Hmm? I remember going to one place where, okay, where am I going to put my deities? And I just touched it and my finger turned up black. And all my feet were coming up black. I can't stay here until I clean. Right? I remember going to one, this is, this is my worst story. This isn't happening to me. But anyway, I went to one place, got there at midnight. Door didn't lock, and it was on the street level. Everything was covered with black. I had to clean the whole room. And then the only window opened up right to the street level so anybody could walk in. So I turned on the AC, a little bit of black plastic fly over. <laughs> and I looked in the, in the bathroom, and there was a drain in the floor, but it was clogged up, and so the whole bathroom was a swimming pool. And I said, uh, well, I guess I'm staying here tonight because it's midnight, but I'm not staying here anymore. So if Krishna and his internal energy are going to dance on our tongue, our tongue has to be a nice place for them to dance. Right? Imagine what a beautiful place. Krishna and the gopis dance. Krishna and the coward boys dance. Krishna dances for the elderly gopis and gopis also. So where are they going to dance? 
So therefore, it's very important what we speak and what we eat. If we're not careful about what we eat, and we're not careful about what we say, then Krishna and his internal energy will not want to dance on our tongue. And we'll start saying, Krishna, 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 and they won't be dancing there. And we'll think, why aren't they dancing there? And we'll say, well, why don't you clean up your tongue first? Then there's the association of devotees. Right, a whole other seminar. We talk a lot about fellowship with devotees. They giving gifts, giving prasadam, giving confidences, receiving gifts, receiving prasadam, receiving confidences. And our Bhagavatam classes were on this topic that we should give to benefit the other person. Our gifts should benefit them. Our prasadam should benefit them, and our confidences should benefit them. We shouldn't give any of these things to benefit ourselves. Uh, we may often talk to other people simply because we want to unload our own garbage on them and we don't think about how it's going to affect them. Or maybe we give them a gift just because we want to get rid of it and not keep it in our house anymore. Or maybe we cook something for somebody else because we enjoy eating it and we don't think about what they enjoy. So we should give to devotees what they want, give with love, and we should also receive with love. And of course, this association of devotees, devotees are the ashraya, they are the shelter for all of our relationships with Krishna, both in the preliminary stage and at the advanced stage. So, so in each stage, it is the association of devotees, and just love a mantra, the eleventh and the second. Eleventh and the second. Start the city going, wow, all perfection. But one must associate with devotees very nicely and very sweetly to try to serve them and please them. And associating with superiors to serve, to make friends, and to bring out those for them. And then, of course, the Bhagavatam. I tried to make all the volumes the same. So, of course, the Bhagavatam, and Ravindra Srivastava spoke about this at length this morning, so I won't get into it too much. But hearing with rapt attention, with rapt attention, Bhagavatam class is not the place for arts and crafts, or to go to catch up on your sleep. Okay? It's because there's Krishna's in the pages of the Bhagavatam, as we were hearing this morning. I remember I heard a class by Lino, if you've ever heard from Radhika Mahaprabhu, uh, he was speaking once in Italy at a conference. And not very many people went to his class. I mean, you know, he's young, he's a grohasta. Why go to his class? We saw anybody there, seven or eight people. Nobody recorded it. But when he was speaking, Krishna was jumping out of the pages of the Bhagavatam and walking around the room. So we should hear and read and speak Bhagavatam in that room that hears Krishna in the pages, in every letter of the Bhagavatam. One of our sannyasis told me, he said, one time when I was reading the books, I actually heard Prabhupada's voice speaking in Prabhupada's. And when we are reading this Bhagavatam, we are in touch with Krishna, with Narayuni, with Sukadeva Goswami, with Shri Prabhupada, with Bhakti Sinanta, with Vishnu Chakravati Thakur. We're in their association. And nowadays it's so wonderful with modern technology, right? One of the benefits of modern technology, you can have all the books on your phone. You can read them, you can hear them. Oh, I don't have any time to read. You can read one screen on your phone before breakfast, and one screen before lunch, and one screen before dinner. You can listen to audiobooks while you're taking a shower, while you're driving in your car. And you find that the spiritual world will manifest as we study these books. Okay, so that's the first of the six items of surrender, accepting what's favorable. Now we're going to look at the second one, rejecting what's unfavorable. Ah, these guys are all going down. They're all going down. So, of course, with our picture here, we can think of lust as just sexual lust. But lust also means anything. I've got to have it! Dead, I don't care what the price is. I'll pay the price later, hopefully, there won't be one. 
And then the price is you lose your business, you lose your family, you lose your home, because I got to have it. And then we all know what anger does to us, yes? Lose your intelligence. Why did you do that, um, I was angry. Why did you say that? Is that what you really mean? No. It's not what I really mean. I was just saying. Right? Say and do stupid things, we become a fool, a complete fool, even to ourselves. And then greed. Lust and anger at least can be satisfied temporarily, but greed by definition cannot be satisfied. And we are really suffering from greed in modern society. More, bigger, more, bigger, more, bigger, more, bigger, more, bigger, more, bigger, bigger, different, 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 bigger, bigger, different, more, more, more. I already have a perfectly fine working phone, but I'm going to stand in line for four days to get a new one because I have to have more. And more, and more, and more. This is because material sense gratification gives you satiation, but not satisfaction. Whereas spiritual gives you satisfaction without satiation. Now, of course, of the things we should give up, ultimately what we should give up is the desire to be the Lord and Master of the material world. And this desire is very nicely explained by Raghunathas Goswami and Bhaktivinoda Kurimana Shiksha. Leads to pretense. Well, really, I'm great. And I'm really great. Which, and this pretense, based on the desire for fame and controllership, this pretense then leads to lust, anger, and greed. And lust, anger, and greed leads to, well, you know where they lead to. not lose that track. Want to change chords? Try it again. Well, there you go. That's the fire and brimstone part of the presentation. One who surrendered gives up things unfavorable for Christian consciousness, even if they're very difficult to give up. Okay, now the third item of surrender is Krishna as shelter. That Krishna will give us shelter from all dangers on the path of Krishna consciousness. There may be so many obstacles, so many difficulties. Prabhupada said, what are these obstacles? He says, with one kick, I can kick out all of your obstacles. And these obstacles really are a test of our faithfulness to Krishna, a test of how much we see Krishna as our only shelter, and they're a way for us to deal with our own impurities and anarthas. And it's said in the sixth canto that the Lord turns all of our obstacles into spiritual service. Now this protection, Krishna says, is not really given to the non-devotees in the same way. Because they're not asking for it. They're trying to be their own protector, or they're taking shelter of the demigods, or they're taking shelter of vitamin pills, or something like that as their protector. 
So Krishna gives full protection to those who want his full protection. And we have this nice song of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. He says, surrendering my soul unto you has lifted from me the burden of false pride. No longer will I try to provide for my own safety. I know that you will give protection to your treasured possessions, O oh Lord. I now understand the mentality of your treasured cows safely maintained by your side. When you lead your herds to pasture, O Madhava, on the banks of the Yuna River, you will call to them by softly playing on your flute. Fearless and confident of your protection, I will drink the water of the Yamuna. The Kaliya's serpent's venom poison the Yamuna's waters, yet that poison will be vanquished. You will purify the Yamuna, and by such heroic deeds enhance our faith. Bhaktivinoda is now the property of Gokula, your holy abode. O Keshava, kindly protect him with gentle, loving care. So this is the mood of the third item of protection. I know you're going to take care of me. There may be Kaliyas, but you will nullify the poison. And therefore, I can safely drink the water of the Jumana. And this mood of Krishna like one of your cows. Huh? And we can meditate on that for a minute. What would it be like in one of Krishna's cows and Krishna's bed? And he's calling you with his flute, right? He's calling you by name. And Krishna goes down to milk the cows and moves against their side and takes them out to pasture and makes sure they get water and they get food and everything they need. So in the same way, Krishna's going to take care of us. Okay, now the fourth one is that Krishna's my only protector. And in this one thinks that Krishna is my supreme maintainer and my master. One doesn't depend on anyone else for protection. One doesn't think I'm going to protect myself. One doesn't think I'm going to protect my family. As Raktivinod says, within my mind I've always been anxious for the maintenance of my wife and children, my own body and relatives. How shall I remember? How will I acquire fame? How will I arrange the marriages of my sons and daughters? Now, through self-surrender, I've been relieved of all anxiety. Oh Lord, surely you will provide for the maintenance of your own household. Recognizing me as your own servant, you will certainly maintain me. While rendering devotional service unto you, I feel the greatest happiness. Now we're going to look at the fifth one, being dependent on Krishna to fulfill all of our desires. Remembering that in our activities and our desires, we're not independent. The devotee acts and thinks as Krishna's desires. Krishna, what would please you in this situation? What would please you in this situation? As Bhakti Sanatha Saraswati would always say, Krishna willing. Are you going to Calcutta? Krishna willing. Are you going to do this? Krishna willing. Whatever Krishna wants. Krishna changes my plans. Okay. New adventure. <laughs> Whatever Krishna wants. And Bhakti Vinayakura says, the soul inhabiting this mortal body has given up the false ego attached to the word I. For today, the spiritual sense of being yours has entered his heart. All my possessions, body, home, servants, brothers, friends, wife, sons, personal belongings, fencing and gateways, all of these things are now yours, for I have become your servant. I am but a mere occupant in your house. And his majority his wife having Krishna as their guest. You are the owner of the house. And I am your most obedient servant. My only activity now is endeavoring for your happiness. This, my friends, is real sannyas. No matter what color you're wearing, how old you are, and what you're doing in the world. Krishna, I just work for you, and you maintain me. It may appear that my job maintains me. It may appear that this is to management, But you're my protector, and you're my maintainer. My will is Merge with your will. From this day forward, Bhakti Vinod has completely forgotten himself. Why? Because you're taking care of me. Like if you work for a good boss. You don't have to think about yourself. 
And just think about the company business, right? And the boss pays your salary, gives you vacation days, gives you a desk, everything you need. And all you need to worry about is the company business. In this aspect of surrender, one just thinks, let me worry about Krishna's business and let him worry about me. And how will one feel? Bhagavan says, I have become supremely happy by surrendering myself at your lotus feet. Sorrow has gone far away and there are no more cares. All I see is joy in the four directions. In the 20th chapter of Krishna book, Prabhupada says, the materialists see the world as very aggressive. But to the devotees, everything is happily situated. Sometimes when I say that to the devotees, they say, isn't it supposed to be the opposite? That the materialists think they're happy and the devotees see the world as aggressive? I'm like, then why would you become a devotee? When we surrender to Krishna, we become completely happy because Krishna is taking care of everything. And the last, meek and humble. doesn't mean low self-esteem. doesn't mean that I hate myself. It's the demons who hate themselves. What's our self? Our self is Krishna's servant, Jivaswapaya, Krishna, and The demons hate the fact that they're Krishna's servant. The devotees relish and rejoice in the self. They see the self by the pure mind and experience boundless transcendental happiness. Atmarama, Atmatushti, Atmarati. The devotees know, without Krishna, I am nothing. But the Vinodakura says, without your mercy, I am lost. Please give me the shelter of your lotus feet. Yes, I am the soul of glorious, but only in connection with Krishna. As soon as I appear to be disconnected from Krishna, I am nothing. My Prabhupada said, little screw. Little screw. There's nothing. But in the machine, it's worth so much. Krishna, without you, I'm nothing. With you, then I have everything. Oh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, My whole life I've been a materialist. Now the sun is setting on my life. What will I do now? Oh, please don't judge me. Please just give me the honey mercy of your mother's speech. story of Bali Maharaj. We talked about Atmanivedanam, that Krishna, I am yours, I am your possession, about Sharanapati, Krishna, you are mine, you are my protector. We talked about the six symptoms of surrender, accepting what's favorable, rejecting what's unfavorable, conviction that only Krishna can protect me, Krishna is my maintainer, conscious that only by Krishna's mercy can I do anything, and the most fallen so Krishna will take care of Sometimes that. Okay, I can 
Willie desires very clearly to have a step with Shastra. So, are you saying that what's what's out of step from Shastra? Our, our authorities or us? Uh, sometimes it's clear that our authorities are. Sometimes in very gross ways. Other times in just subtle ways. Mm-hmm. What is the responsibility of a person in that situation to accept that this is Krishna's mercy on me that I'm, I'm having to deal with? Uh, Purification via that person, don't be upset with the person who's an instrument of my own karma. It depends in what way they're out of sync. So it's it's worse to it's worse to be disobedient than to make a mistake. So if they're just making a mistake, uh, better to just obey, unless it's something that's really spiritually, morally, ethically violent. Otherwise, there's no meaning to obedience. If I say I'm only going to obey when everything is what I agree with, then there's not really much meaning to obey. But there are some times when you have to stand up and say, you know, that that's not morally, ethically correct. Because it's not an excuse, you know, I'm just doing what I'm told. Is that right? I realize I have a five-minute video I want to show you, so after Kim has the questions, I have a five-minute video I'll show you. About Gimme Rush. Thank you for your plans. I have about three quick questions. Uh, okay. They're, they're simple though. Okay. 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 The first is, uh, you say taking shelter. I want to know how exactly that's different from considering Krishna your protector. Considering Krishna your protector, is it always different from taking shelter? Yes. Uh, shelter is where we're going to get all of our needs met. You go home. Home is where I'm going to be taken care of. I'm going to get all of my needs met. And we tend to look for shelter in our body, our mind, other living entities, and our things. These are going to be what satisfies me. So Krishna is my shelter. Krishna is everything for me. Janaka, Janami, Jaitatana, Prabhupada, Patitu, But we don't see anyone else like that. We don't, we don't. But Krishna is my protector. Is very specific. Krishna is going to protect me. Krishna is going to make sure that everything that happens to me is beneficial. Is that, I see. is that okay? That is that, okay, good. Yes. And what's okay. the next one? The other one is serenity. Is that serenity the same as serenity? I don't. I don't know. You, you don't know. I don't know. Try to me, but if you don't know, you just say I don't know. Okay. And the third is you were talking about Sharsti. Uh, is, is that uh, opulence? Is that what? Opulence. Opulence. Yes. That's uh, having the same opulence as the Lord. Krishna is not envious. If you surrender to him, you get to look like him, you get to have the opulences of him, everything. So he shares. Krishna shares. We don't like to share, but Krishna No, we don't. No, we don't. We always want at least a little bit more than everybody else, but Krishna's, Krishna's not envious. Anybody else? I have a question. Yes? You got another contender? Do you have another candidate for a protector? Would you like to suggest somebody? I mean, my body is a great... Is your body a great protector? Does your body protect you? No. Your mind? Family? Sometimes. Sometimes. Limited. Sometimes my body protects me too. Family, friends, sometimes a little bit, right? What about your things? Your house, your car, your equipment. Does that always protect you? But we do think that a little bit. Yes. Government? No. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Oh, I got some protection from guys. Try to travel the world and go where there's worse governments if you want. You know, there are worse governments than we have. So a little bit. But, I mean, who else is going to... You're going to protect yourself? that work? So there you go. Where else are you going to go? Yes? What about uh, when bad things happen to the devotees? You know, I mean, and they're, they're 
considering that Krishna is their protector, perhaps, or maybe not. But they're trying to act as devotees, but still very bad things. Very bad things. If it can happen to anybody, it can happen to a devotee. We've sort of seen that, you know. <laughs> Whatever can happen to anybody can happen to somebody who's a devotee. But bad and good is a very strange idea. You know, just like you have kids. So, you know, when the kids are little and one kid hits the other kid over the head with their toy fire truck and you take the toy fire truck away and you make them stand in the corner to the child, that is very bad. In fact, if they're young enough, the world has ended. <laughs> Completely. And they'll say, I hate you, Daddy. Yes? Did you children ever say that to you? They were about two or three? No? I remember one of my kids when he was four, he said, I am leaving and I'm not coming back anymore. And I said, fine. I said, we'll put you in the park with a sign. I want a better mommy. <laughs> Now, so from the, the children's perspective, it's bad. You know, or when you tell the children you have to stop playing and do your homework. That's bad. I mean, it's really bad. So what's bad? I mean, we don't really know what's bad. We think what's good is my immediate, immediate fulfillment of my desires on the material platform the way I want them to be fulfilled. And if Krishna doesn't do it that way, then he's not God. Or he's not loving. Because I'm a much better God than he is. I know the way he should... He should be my servant. I mean, what's wrong with him anyway? I go to him and say, look, okay, Krishna, I know you've got more power than me. You know, I understand that, that I don't have a lot of power. But I know that you love me, and so this is what I want. Okay, I want this and this. And I want this exactly like this, okay, at 4.05 exactly like that and just like this and this person has to treat me in this way and this person has to treat me in this way and my body has to act this way and you didn't do all that what use are you I'll fire you get somebody else now please tell me is that really a devotee no no so if we say I'm a devotee devotees don't really see that bad things happen to them and we have the far out incomprehensible example of Queen Quinty who says bring on the bad things you know, where's that at? Don't try that at home. But, you know, she's asking for that because then Krishna would come. It was, it was very practical. You know, Krishna, when there's a problem, you come. And when there's no problem, you don't. Now, believe me, if Krishna personally showed up every time there was a catastrophe, then I probably would pray, pray for catastrophes. So she didn't see them as bad. She saw them as good. And everything Krishna does is good. For the materialist, that's true in a very ultimate, ultimate sense. But for the spiritualist, it's true in a very immediate sense. And sometimes we see that. Have you ever had something terrible happen to you? And a year or five years, or first time this happened to me was 15 years later, I said, oh, that was the best possible thing that could have happened. Wow, Krishna saved me. And I thought at the time it happened, I thought Krishna was punishing me, I thought it was terrible, I couldn't understand it, and 15 years later it was, wow, he totally saved me. And I'm sure that we get to a point where we see everything like that. Okay, would you guys like to see a little video about Govardhan? Yes. And about shelter?